As we get ready to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we read from the Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Mark 9, 2-9 After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared from the sky and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain... Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Um, trust that you are doing well this morning and that you have enjoyed and participated well in uh, the wonderful way in which our team has led us to the throne of grace this morning. Thank you to uh, those who have led us so well this morning. Before I share with you some thoughts from that particular portion of Scripture, I invite you to uh, pray where you are. Uh, this is a season um, in which uh, prayer becomes even more important for all of us. Uh, prayer is one of those gifts that we have as Christians that we can use and perhaps don't use as much as we should, uh, but a gift to remind us that God is for us, that God is with us, and that God's presence is promised to us. So whatever you carry this morning, whatever burden they may be, perhaps this is a good morning for you and you are celebrating and rejoicing at God's provision wherever you are in life, wherever you may feel your heart is leaning today, I invite you to pray with me now. Father God, we thank you for teaching us how to pray. You taught us when you taught your disciples that we, because of you, can now address you as our Father. <laughs> and, and we know that when we pray this prayer, it's easy to, to forget that we have been made children, we have been made heirs of the kingdom because of Jesus Christ, and therefore we have a, a hope that is present and lasting. Uh, in the season of loneliness and the season of yearning for community, our hearts cry out for the way uh, that community enriches our lives and, and makes us uh, who we are and reminds us of our need for one another. And so, Father, we, we, we pray our Father, the one who has made us his children, that you would uh, comfort and strengthen the hearts of your people in this season. May your, your spirit minister in ways that brings comfort and hope and reminds us all that you are indeed faithful to your word and to your promise and you are with us. 
May we this morning, wherever we are gathered, wherever we are hearing your word, wherever we are participating in this worship service, recognize that we do so as those who belong to you. And as your children, Father, you have given us rights and privileges. You have given us the opportunity to call upon your name. And so whatever it is that burdens this morning, whatever people are carrying, whatever your children are struggling through, may we together bring those prayers to the one who is faithful and able to do immeasurably more than we often think or ask of him. And so, Father, we bring to you the concerns of our community, those who are not well, those who are struggling, those who are alone, those who are uh, despairing this morning. Wherever we may find ourselves, we recognize that your shoulders are big enough to carry the weight of our burdens. But more than that, you are also the God of our future. In you we hope, in you we trust, we pay attention to the news, we hear how things are progressing, we understand that things are perhaps not where we'd like them to be. But Father, we are reminded each week when we gather as your people that not only do you have our present lives in your hands, but you have our future in your hands. So help us to rest in the one who knows our tomorrows. Help us to find hope today for tomorrow because of who you are and what you have done through Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do we make of this event, this scripture? (laughs) Uh, Jesus chooses three disciples that... He has chosen elsewhere and kind of let them in on some of the things he's done. And, and some of you know that Peter, James, and John would, would kind of enter the Garden of Gethsemane where they, they failed to hold up to the commitment that they made. But it seems that Jesus invites these three men to go up a mountain with him. And there he changes in appearance in front of them. The, the word that our Bibles use is transfigured. You know, if you, if you look at the technical definition, it kind of alludes to metamorphosis, you know. <laughs> a bit of a biological term, I guess. Uh, there, there is something that changes about the countenance. Uh, the, the very person they have known uh, is transfigured in their presence, is changed in their presence. And then it gets even more interesting. Jesus is joined atop the mountain by some heavy hitters from the Old Testament. Elijah, remember him? And he showed down with the prophets of Baal. And Moses, the one who ascended the mountain, and in uh, that ascent encounters God in such a glorious way that his face himself is transformed in the presence of God. In this particular text, Peter responds, you know, as Peter often does first. And he offers to build three shelters. Now Mark, the gospel author, comments that, uh, that Peter did not know what to say. Well, I'm not sure Peter ever, you know, did not know what to say. But, but Peter says the wrong thing according to Mark's gospel. And, and, and then he adds that they were terrified. A cloud overshadows them. 
The voice from heaven confirms who Jesus is and instructs the disciples to listen to him. The cloud disappears along with Elijah and Moses and Jesus with the three disciples are left by themselves. And then as they go down the mountain, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. Mountains are places of revelation in scripture. They are places of, to use a technical word derived from a Greek word, theophany. This is where the, the God shows up in an observable way. This is important for, I think, this particular text because the characters that show up in this event have had their own theophonic experiences in the Old Testament. For example, Moses in Exodus chapter 19 verse 3 went up the mountain to meet with God. You know, I, 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 I've been here long enough that some of you know, I, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not a hiking guy. I feel bad every time I say that. A number of years ago, you know, we had a friend of mine, a friend of many of yours, Joel Gray. Joel used to go mountain climbing all the time. Even in the winter, I often thought to myself, what's wrong with them? But I've also observed that from the beauty of the hike and, uh, uh, you know, ascending to the summit and getting to the top, if I've heard people like him talk, they talk about it being a real spiritual experience, a real amazing experience that, that they enjoy nature and they enjoy the challenge and they enjoy being, uh, uh, you know, in the place to observe the world in a different way. I remember when I went home and, you know, and took a few of my friends here from Skyview back to, to the promised land, Cape Town, South Africa. And we ascended, not, we didn't walk it, we, we took the gondola. Uh, that's kind of my way of ascending, ascending mountains. And we got to the top and there beheld the, the beauty of uh, the, 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 the beauty of Cape Town where the oceans met and, and what a view it gives you if you're ever visiting South Africa for, for, you know, uh, in Cape Town is to stand atop the mountain and see things that you wouldn't otherwise see. There's something about ascending for Moses in the Old Testament, Elijah in the Old Testament, and Jesus here in this particular text that invites us to also receive some kind of view, some kind of perspective that perhaps we wouldn't have elsewhere. And so Moses went up to, the, to meet, uh, the mountain to meet with God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and told him to say to the Israelite, Jacob's descendants, you saw what I, the Lord, did to the Egyptians and how I carried you as an eagle carries a young on her wings and brought you here with me. Now if you will obey me, and keep my covenant. You will be my own people. The whole earth is mine, but you will be my chosen people, a people dedicated to me alone, and you will serve me as priests. So Moses went down and called the leaders of the people together and told them everything that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together, we will do everything that the Lord has said. And Moses reported this to the Lord. And just listen to this. In verse 9, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will believe you from now on. 
I don't think it's coincidence that Moses and Elijah appears in this incredible moment atop the mountain. Moses understood that when you ascend the mountain and there's a thick cloud, that the glory of God is right there, that God is present there. And there's something about what happens to Moses, and we'll talk about Elijah in a moment, that kind of alerts us that the, 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 the theophonic experience, the revelation, the epiphany itself is not only for Moses' sake, it's so that Moses would go down the mountain to show the people what God has told him so that the people would know God's ways and reflect God to the world. So I ever want to think about these revelatory experiences and how privileged some are. You know, I, I, I got to be honest, I kind of wonder what made Peter, James, and John so spe special. I mean, Peter, let's be honest, I wouldn't pick him. He'd volunteer. Uh, but this revelation is not only for them, it is for everyone, there is a sense in which the revelation that God gives Moses is not just for his own sake, not just so that he might be radiant, but so that others may experience that which God desires them to. Elijah atop Mount Carmel would similarly encounter God. I want to read from 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. So you hear the word of the Lord. At the hour of the afternoon sacrifice, this is... This is following the prophets of Baal praying for a long time for their gods to alight the burnt or the, 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 the bull on, on, on the altar. And, and if you remember the Old Testament story, you know, there was kind of a showdown between the prophets of Baal and, and Israel's God. And Israel is present to witness this. We get a sense that when we read that particular text, that Israel had kind of lost their way and that they were starting to lean towards worshiping these false gods also. And so here stands Elijah. Uh, after the prophets of Baal had prayed for a long time to their gods. And by the way, if you read that text in 1 Kings, you, you, you actually will laugh a little bit because Elijah gets really snarky and mocks them. He says things like, perhaps your gods are taking a break. Perhaps they are busy doing something else. And after these prophets go at it for a long time, here's what Elijah does. He says, bring some water, douse the bull. Douse the altar, do it several times so that God would show up as the true God. At the hour of the afternoon, sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and prayed, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove now that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and have done all that is, that is at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you are the Lord, our God, and that you are bringing them back to yourself. And then listen to this. The Lord sent fire down, and it burned up the sacrifice. The wood and the stones scorched the earth and dried up the water in the trench. <laughs> it's leaving no doubt who the true God is. And when the people saw this, they threw themselves on the ground and exclaimed, the Lord is God, the Lord alone is God. In the life of Moses and in the life of Elijah, the experience atop the mountain is a revelation of who God is, not only for their own sake, but so that the people would know who this God is and would return to who this God is. 
said differently. The mountain and the prophets involved remind us that God has revealed himself to his chosen servants in high places. But that such revelation, as significant as they were for Moses and Elijah, was to bear witness to the God who saves and the God who calls people back to himself. Moses would return to the camp and the people would know that he was in the presence of God because his face shone with the glory of God. Elijah's battle with the prophets of Baal would result in Israel's God revealing not only his power over the gods of Baal, but so that the people would see who the true God of Israel is and be drawn back from the idolatry to worshiping him. And it is on the Mount of Transfiguration that God will reveal to these three what he is revealing to those of us who read the gospel today. It is a revelation of who God is in a way that surprises, a way that terrifies, a way that challenges, and a way that brings hope. So what is the revelation? What are we learning on this mountain about who God is? And how may what we learn about who this God is impact how we then shall live? This is probably not going to make you give me a high score on preaching. You're probably not going to think this is the most impressive point, but it's a good starting point. I think the first epiphany, revelation that is made clear here is that Jesus was kind of like Moses and and Elijah, but he was much more. If you were to do a word study, the word transfiguration means a change in form or appearance. I think I went to Merriam-Webster, an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. There seems to be a, a significant thing that happens on the mountain that is important for the disciples who had followed Jesus and have had a sense of who he is. But what they would encounter on the mountain would challenge even what they thought they knew. I think that following Jesus in Mark's gospel in particular is very, very difficult. (laughs) You know, there seems to be a a challenge to seeing him for who he is and understanding what his mission and purpose is that the disciples consistently reveal. And it seems to me that at least within the narrative of the gospel of Mark, that Jesus invites these threes up the mountain so that they may have an insight and see more than they have seen as yet. They've seen him as a teacher. They've seen him as a healer. But now they see the radiance of Jesus in dazzling white. If you go to Daniel 7 and and chapter 12, you will read there that, that, that the divine appears described as being radiant in this way. And it's interesting because Peter's response to this epiphany, to this revelation is, let me build you three tents. And Mark would be quick to point out that that was not the right reaction. Now, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I did way too much research on the idea of tents and what this could potentially mean. And I so desperately want to impress you with all the knowledge I just got this past week. But let me practice some prudence for the sake of time and for clarity. Uh, what Peter offers, just think about this way, he, he's still not quite understanding the significance of Jesus, is he? 
There's something about recognizing the holiness of the moment. I mean, it's described that he is terrified, but he still doesn't quite understand that here's something far more significant in the person of Jesus than perhaps in Moses or Elijah. And the offer of building three shelters could be, I'm just going to throw this out to you, kind of a way of revealing that Peter is yet to see Jesus as Jesus would have him see himself. But to help Peter along, the divine voice speaks. And the divine voice from heaven sets Jesus apart and says these words to Peter, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. The son is like the father. The father is like the son. If he is my son, he is God. Peter, you are standing in the presence of the the true God. You are standing in the presence of the one who is much more than you anticipated him to be. Jesus was, yes, a prophet like Moses and Elijah, but he was much more. But I think another revelation from this particular transfiguration text is that God reveals that the way of the cross is his plan. I I know you may kind of say, where where does that come from, Stu? (laughs) Do you know what happens right before this whole transfiguration? You know, Jesus begins to tell his disciples after Peter's confession that he is the Messiah, that he must go to the cross and die and there be dead for three days and then be raised again. In Mark chapter 8, verse 32, Peter took him aside, that is Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. You know, when I, when I read that, I often think to myself, where have I experienced seeing that? Someone rebuking another when they should know better. You know, sometimes I, my, my children, they, they do correct their dad, and I learn from them. And I think it takes great humility to perhaps be corrected by others. But, but what is made clear in the text is that what Peter thinks is wrong is not wrong at all. Peter refuses to listen to what Jesus was saying about the necessity of the cross. I don't think it's ironic that here the voice of heaven would say, not only is this my beloved son, but listen to him. What is it that God wants Peter and the disciples to listen to? It is that which they have refused to listen to. It is to accept, my friends, that the way of the Messiah that is revealed as the Son of God in the text is the way of the cross. And get this, right after that revelation, right after Peter's rebuke, Jesus would tell his the crowd and the disciples, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow him. You see, it's one thing to to want to see who God is, and Jesus is making it very clear that you can only understand who I am as the true and living God if you also see me through my destiny, which is the cross. But more significantly, Jesus would say to those who would follow him, if you want to participate in the glory of God that I would bring to all creation, and if you want to be participant to my kingdom, then you too must walk in this way. Now let me say a few things about the cross. The way of the cross does not mean that we should seek or regard suffering 
as a spiritual good in and of itself. Uh, put it differently, uh, Jesus did not die because his suffering itself could purge the world from sin and evil. He died because the powers of evil sought to destroy his witness to a nonviolent love, justice, and truth. Put differently, Jesus invites us into a particular way of life that requires from us a commitment and faith and trust in the destiny that we have in him. For it is God who will resurrect him from the cross. And we are promised that if we too follow in the ways of Jesus, that our suffering will not end in defeat, but we will be resurrected too as the Son has been resurrected. Now, I know you're kind of going, oh, that's all theological. Oh, it's fun. You know, I'm glad you got a point of it. What does it mean for me? What does it have to do with my life today in COVID-19? What does it mean for me as I struggle day to day to kind of just think about what normality would be and whether things would ever be normal? How does this text inform my life? I want to say a few things to you. There is an implicit truth in the Word of God to us today that reminds us that the God who is revealed, the God who is revealed in splendor in the face and in the countenance of Jesus Christ is a God that despite all the power that He bestows and has upon, has within in him decides to walk in a particular way as so as to save all of creation from itself by demonstrating for us what God's love looks like. The way that God's love is demonstrated in our world is the way of the cross. What the church needs to hear in these days is that our power does not lie in our own ability. We are not called to make things happen by our own strength, but our power is in the confession of the one who has overcome Satan's sin and death, the one who suffered by being faithful to the promise and the commitment of the Father, the one who walked the road to the cross so that there he would demonstrate to us what faith looks like when we give our lives away as Jesus did. We have a hope in him that God will raise us up even from this earth death. To that God's people must say, Amen. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. What are the crosses that we are called to pick up? If in this particular text, God is revealed to us as the one who walks the way of the cross and we are called to do the same, what does it mean for us to follow well, to bear our own burdens well, to bear the burdens of following Jesus well? I don't know if you have noted, but it seems that there's a vacuum in Christianity these days uh, uh, that, that speaks to an absence uh, of a biblical understanding of the fact that when we follow, we may suffer. You know, I, I say this kindly because, I, you know, at times when it's convenient for me to say I'm South African, I will. And then when it's convenient, I'll say I'm Canadian, you know. But I'm more Canadian than I sometimes confess. And, and I think in the West, we, we struggle with uh, uh, following the way of the cross. I, I think we struggle in many ways to understand that, that to be faithful to Jesus at times will be costly to us. 
at times there are things that, that, that the world might say, you know, it's okay, you can hold on to that. There's nothing in and of itself that's wrong. But, but, but Jesus would say, if anything gets in the way of following me, you probably should let go of it. You know, we don't like to deny ourselves. Don't deny me. Don't deny me when I, I, I want to get my coffee in, in 90 seconds or I'm going to the next drive-thru. Don't deny me when, when, when I feel like, you know, I should get my way. Don't, 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 don't tell me about denial. And we're raising, unfortunately, in our culture, kids who believe that they are as entitled as the examples are that they are witnessing. If you don't think this plays into the church, my friends, it does. If you don't think this shapes how Christians think about the way of the cross, it does. The way of the cross is not to become a doormat for everybody. It's not to just lie down and do nothing. But it certainly is not to say that I lay claim to all the privilege and power in this world. We lay ourselves down before the feet of the cross. And we say there, whatever your will for my life, I will follow. Whatever it may cost me to be true to your plan and your purpose for my life, I will go. If you call me, I will follow. If you ask me to give up things, I will. If you ask me to do things, I will say yes. The way of the cross is a hard way, but it is a way that is promised to end in hope for us all. I don't know when Jesus takes me up the mountain. (laughs) Whether I would be like Peter and say, I want to just stay right here. But the cross begs us to come down and to walk faithfully by listening well. I want to ask you this morning, what is the invitation for you and me from the scripture? I I, I want to not downplay this at all. You know, I I think it's okay to pray, God, you know, I, I need an encounter with you. Would you... Would you just make yourself known? I mean, you know, if we stop desiring that, we may as just stop being Christian. God, I I desire to experience your glory. You know, what transforms us is is being in the presence of God. You know, that's that's what transformed Moses. That that, that the presence of God on the mountain for Elijah who came in the the gentle whisper of a wind. You know, it's not always with calamitous, uh, noisy, big show of power. but, But God does show himself to his people. But when God does show himself, and I pray that we would experience the glory of God. I, I don't know where God will show up for you. I don't know where that might be, but may we believe that he can, and may we also know that when he does, it probably is not just for our own sake. (laughs) It's so that we would know that the glorious one walks humbly in obedience to the Father. Let me ask you another question. What is the cross that you are carrying today? Because you desire to be faithful to Jesus. What is the burden that you are walking with that weighs you down? The thing you didn't have to endure if you just had chosen a different way and a different Savior. I want to offer you the words of hope that whatever it is, 
it will not be the end of you. For we share in the same hope of Christ. I want to invite you this morning to to do this along with me, to place our hope in God's resurrection power (laughs) as we begin the season of Lent. You know, season of Lent is interesting because it's about self-denial. And I did a little talk uh, that, you know, a little sermon for the Ash Wednesday service that we're going to make available. And, 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 and I think that as we kind of start this season of Lent, perhaps it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to recognize that, that the reason we deny ourselves is, is not to, 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 to develop some kind of, a, a, you know, a, a prideful presence in our world, but we deny ourselves so that we would follow the example of Jesus better. And so I know there's some of us who are going to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to give up social media or I'm going to give up coffee. Some of us are praying that the Lord doesn't lay any one of those on us. Yeah, you know. But could it be that this particular season of walking this way, the way of the cross, would shine a light on our life in a very particular way that invites us to deny ourselves from those things that stand in the way of following Jesus all the way to the cross. What are the things that threaten our faithfulness? That vies for priority over the will of God in our lives? How is the Lord inviting us to follow Him by picking up our own cross. The Apostle Paul, and with this I close in Philippians chapter 2, he tells us about this cross-styled life, an example as made clear in the life of Jesus. And he says that it should have an impact on your relationships with others. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. In in other translations, he said he emptied himself. What does it mean to empty oneself? I think at least one of the things it means is that, that I am not the center of the universe. I think one of the things it means is that I, I choose a posture that is that is probably not esteemed in the predominant culture, not one of serve me, but one that I've come to serve. For it says in the text, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. We are the humble followers of Jesus. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, the way of the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I thank you for your word to me today. 
I thank you that your word offers us a, a perspective of you that maybe we need uh, to embrace more in these days. Suffering in and of itself, Lord, can be destructive. Persecution is not something we should be praying for or desiring. But your example teaches us that the way of the cross often requires a faithfulness that costs us something. Give us the willingness in this coming season to suffer well. To deny anything and everything that may keep us from a more authentic following of you. It's so easy, Father, just to make this coming season about something that it's not, but it is an instrument, an invitation perhaps, something rooted in Christian tradition that is a good gift to the church if we would just but enter with humility and willingness. So that we would partake in your will for our lives. I pray this morning that anyone who has heard your word and has heard your spirit's conviction upon their heart or mind would respond to you in this very moment. A response that is honest and humble and true and that recognizes your invitation, a response that invites us to obedience. So that the world would through us, your church, your people, your followers, your disciples, know you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.